Well, good morning, church. So good to be with you. Love you guys. Love our pastors. Adore our pastors. Thank you for making Christmas so fun, so fun with our spectacular and all the decorations and the pretty lights. I don't know about you guys, but I love Christmas. It's my favorite time of the year. And two days out, I think we can officially say, Merry Christmas. Thank you, Jesus, for being born the normal way so we can do this. It's wonderful. (laughs) I mean, he could have come down in his glory, but he didn't. He chose to come down as a little tiny baby. And I don't know about you, I love the decorations. I love the the spirit of Christmas. Wherever you go in the shops, there's carols playing. I'm going to miss the carols in two days. I'm pretty bummed about that. (laughs) I've got the carols playing. I've had them playing since November. I've had the tree up since the 15th of November. I just love Christmas. And so it's, you know, your world changes for this last maybe six weeks of the year. Our world changes. You know, we're, we're busy. We're putting up trees. We're, we're shopping. I love shopping. Who loves shopping? A, an excuse to spend a lot of money. It's not very good. But I love the Christmas bonuses my dear husband needs to give me. Anyway, so, <laughs> so we get really busy. We get so busy with what we're doing. We get so you know, running around trying to do a whole lot of stuff that we don't normally do. And, you know, we, we sing beautiful carols, and, and I hear these carols in the shops, you know. Um, there's a beautiful one that says, Joy to the World, and it keeps on going. It says, Let every heart prepare him room. But actually, we're so busy getting ready for that big day that sometimes we miss the tiniest opportunities of just making that room. And what I find strange about Christmas is that The whole nation celebrates Christmas. You know, bosses close down their places. You know, the the work closes for one week at least. Everything closes. Bosses take their their workers out for lunch and dinner and buy them gifts and and give bonuses. I'm yet to receive my bonus. (laughs) You know, and it's, it's amazing that they do all this stuff, but they actually don't believe in Jesus. They, they don't know Jesus. And, and if I could give you a bit of a, a story on what that might look like, it's like I'm over here in my house and there's somebody three blocks down whose birthday it is who I don't even know. But what I'm going to do is in my house, I'm going to invite my family, my friends, and we're going to have a big party. We're going to drink and eat and feast and celebrate the person that I don't know who lives three blocks down. We're going to celebrate their birthday. We would never do that. Yet that's what we do every Christmas. A lot of times that's what we do. You know, and, and I think even sometimes people want to change the name of the celebration so that they want to change the name of Christmas because then they may not have to think about what it actually means or what Christmas is all about. But you know what? God is asking us to make room. And it's not very different today to what it was 2,000 years ago. Now, Jesus, when he came, he didn't come unannounced. He didn't just surprise everybody. He gave us plenty of time to make room. You know, Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah 43, it says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And that that was spoken about 700 years before Jesus came. And he's not the only prophet that declared that Jesus was coming. And then even after Jesus was born, John the Baptist was still warning people and he echoed those words and he was sort of saying, announcing and saying in John 1, 23, he said, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said, reminding us to make way 
The NIV says, I'm a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the way. Now, clearing the way means we need to actually remove whatever's in the way. It means that there's something in the way that we need to get that out. We need to take that out. You know, take something out because God wants to replace it with something else. And we might think we have unlimited time and unlimited space, but we do not. We have an unlimited God with unlimited power. He is sovereign and he is able to do amazing things in our lives. But we as human beings, we only have a time on this earth. We only take a space up on this earth. And if I can give you an example, you know, of what it's like sometimes. I don't know what it's like at your place or your work or whatever. But sometimes when I've got so much to do and then maybe Mick or the kids will say, Mum, can you do this or can you do that? And I I look and I say, look, I haven't got time. I don't have time to do that. And then the reply on this side will be, make time. (laughs) Well, actually, you can't make time. You cannot make time. I can't get up today. Actually, I wish you could make time because this week I would have doubled the time that I had because it's been a hectic week. I would have said, okay, well, this, today I'm not going to have 24 hours. I'm going to have 30 hours because I really need some more time. It doesn't work like that. We have to take something out of our day and put something else in its place. We, that's how we make time. We cannot actually increase our time. You know, we all have the same amount of hours and we can't make room in, t- in terms of our house. If, if, like we're renovating at the moment. Oh, my goodness. We're renovating. We've been doing that for about a year and it's still going. It's ongoing. Everything that we had in the space that we were renovating, we had to move. We had to take it and get out of the way so that we can renovate. All the stuff was taken out from that place and I had to create another room in my house to put it in. Now, if I run out of room in my house, I either have to buy a bigger house to to make a room bigger. I can't just say to my neighbour, excuse me, can I just have one of your rooms? I'm just going to take your space. You don't do that. You can't do that. So you've got to actually move things out. You need to make room by removing something to create time or space. And everyone knows our story. I'm sure you've heard it before. We've moved house in in two years, something like five or six times. It was an incredible time of faith in our life. We really learned about faith. But we had this tennis table thing. It was like a big tennis table and you can close it. It was on wheels. You know, you can wheel it around and open it and close it and all that. And we had to move. So we would pay a removalist hundreds of dollars to come and help us move all the big stuff and this table was one of those things. So we had to pay to move it. So we moved it from, I've written down the names of the streets, we moved it from MacArthur Street to Gollan Avenue. Then we moved it from Gollan Avenue to Gladstone Street. Then from Gladstone Street to Dorothy Street. Then we had to move to Becky Avenue and I said, you know what, I can't do this anymore. I'm not taking this thing. I am, it was a perfectly great tennis table. I left it on the front of the road hoping someone else would have it. Because there was no point moving and moving and moving all this junk that really we don't need. I had to create some space. You know, in Luke 2, 7, the Bible says, and this is about Mary and the birth of Jesus. It, she says, it says, sorry, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, I can't help but wonder how many places did Joseph and Mary knock on the door of? How many inns did they go to? And I wonder if the thought crossed the mind of any innkeeper that this this woman is pregnant, you know, and it's night time and they need somewhere to rest. You know, we need to make some room. And one thing I've learned about the Middle East, and we've experienced this in June, that you can have anything you like 
You can do anything you like. You can get away with anything you like if you know someone. If you know someone and you've got a bit of cash, no problem. It's all good. It's all good. <coughs> I know when my son was detained in Lebanon, we had relatives that my cousin's son was a major in the army. He was on the phone. He was advocating. He was calling. He was speaking to the right people. One of the guys that we went with, a friend of ours, his best friend who has, is kind of upright in the community and he has a voice in that community, rang, um, let me tell you his name, Glenn Miles, who is the ambassador to Australia in Lebanon. He rang him up and that man advocated for my son. He doesn't even know my son and he advocated for him so that we could try and get a release. But you know what? Who advocated for Jesus on that night? Who advocated for Jesus? Who stood there and said, no, we really need to do something? There was no room. Let's just watch this two-minute clip for a moment so we can get a feel of what it might have felt like. I'm all booked up, sorry. We don't need much. What part of I'm all booked up did you not understand? I have no room for you in my inn. Please. We've been walking for days. Do you think you were the first person to pound on my door at this hour of the night looking for a room? There has to be something. A, a closet, perhaps. You can keep asking the same question. I'm going to give you the same answer. Why, what are you doing up? You need to rest now. We won't be any trouble. And I'll pay you whatever you want. Please. I'm, I'm sorry. No vacancies. Hey. Give me a minute. I wonder if that man knew who was knocking on his door. I wonder if he wouldn't have said to that man, yeah, we're all booked, there is no vacancy. But you're the king of kings and you're the lord of lords. You're the one that they announced was coming. I'm going to give you my room. I'm going to create a space for you. I'm going to move out so you can move in. I wonder if he would have said that to, to Joseph. I wonder. I wonder if things could have been different. But it reminds me of the story in the Bible about the rich young ruler. And that story is found in Matthew, Mark, and in Luke. And today we're going to read from the book of Mark, chapter 10, verse 17. And it says, Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. 
You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your mother and your, your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, I just want to unpack this story a little bit and, and just think about who this man was. This man, if you look at the outside of, of this man, what he looked like, he had a perfect life. He was young and rich at the same time. That doesn't normally happen. Usually, you're old and rich and can't really use it because you're too old. But no, he was young and rich. And he was a ruler, so he had some sort of authority. He had some sort of authority. So he might have been a politician, who knows? But he had a standing in the community. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if my daughter brought this man home, I would say, yes, well done. You know, I would have said, yes, he's a good man. He knows God. He's, you know, I would have just thought, wow, he's wonderful. Now, he came to Jesus to double check. He had ticked all the boxes about life, but he just wanted to double check that he was going to get eternal life. And he wanted eternal life to be like the icing on the cake of his life. And he called Jesus a good teacher, so he was raised well and very respectful. Now, Jesus questioned him, why do you call me good? And I don't believe that Jesus was saying that because he wasn't good or he wasn't the son of God. But I think it was more of a rhetorical question. Do you know who I am? Do you understand that confession that you have just made? Do you know that I'm the son of God? I think it was more a, com a confession and a confirmation of who Jesus was. And then Jesus began to give him the law, do not steal, do not kill, and you know, um, do not commit adultery and, and, and honour your father and your mother. And then he says to Jesus, I've done this all my life. From when I was young, I've done this. So it confirms that he's been raised well. He's probably gone to church, read the Bible, done all the right things. He's done all the right things. Yet Jesus said, one thing you lack. But verse 21, I love this, and it's only found in, in the book of Mark. That's why I picked the verses in Mark. And it says, then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. So sometimes when we think that God is asking us to make room and take away stuff, that he doesn't love us. But actually, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he loved him so much that he challenged him about the lack in his life. He loved him so much. I believe that Jesus wanted to replace all that stuff, all that possessions, and the Bible's clear it was possessions, to give him heavenly treasures. And sometimes Jesus wants to come into our life and give us those treasures, but we're just in that place, particularly at Christmas time, where we just can't get rid of that stuff and allow God to come in. And there are times we think that we've given God his portion. We say, well, you know, I've, I've given you. And this rich young ruler said, look, I've done all these things. This is your bit, but this bit is my bit. But God wants to come into our lives and take over our whole life, every room in the house of our life. If we've given God his room and his space, he should take over everything. He wants our whole heart. He wants to live in there. And sometimes we only allow him a visit. And if you think about the house, what it, what it looks like, we have a lounge room. And the lounge room is a place where the guests come in, they have a cup of tea, they might have some nuts or nibblies or whatever, and then they go home. And sometimes we're like that with Jesus. We invite him into the lounge room where the guests come in. And he spends some time there, but then after a while it's like, that's enough, you need to go home now. 
you know, th- this is my lounge room now. You, you know, you've done your bit. It's time to go. And sometimes we invite him to the kitchen where we've made a big fat mess and we need him to clean it up. Or we need our daily bread and we say, give us this day our daily bread and we want something from him. And we invite him into that space of our life. And then we, when he's finished cleaning up, he goes. And then when the mess comes back again, we invite him back again. And many times, our, uh, you know, there are people that do that, that our lives can be like that. And there's the office. Who has an office? We've certainly got a very messy office. But so in the office is the place we do business. And sometimes we can say, well, God, you can come into every part of my life, but you can't come into the office. You can't come into the area of my finances, my tithes, my offerings. That's my space. You can stay in the lounge room. Or if you finish in the lounge, you can probably clean up my kitchen, but don't come into the office. And in the office, there are, there's something else. Sometimes in the office, there's a computer that we sit in front of and we dishonor God by what we do in there. And God wants to invade that space and bring healing. God wants to come in and bring holiness. God wants to complete our lives, even in those areas of our lives. What about the spare room? Does anyone have a spare room? I've got a spare room. Can we bring up the picture of my spare room? This is my spare room. We're renovating so my spare room looks like that. It was supposed to be a prophet's room where we have our, you know, visiting speakers come and sleep in this prophet's room. But look, what, look what's happened to our room. It's become the junk room. It's where we put things and we shut the door. And when you walk into my house, the front door is, you know, you walk in the front door, on the left is that spare room. So every time the doorbell rings, I make sure I shut that door because I don't want anyone to see that big mess that's in there. And sometimes Jesus comes in and he, we put him in the spare room where we don't want anyone to see him, where we put him with all the stuff that we don't want anybody to know about and we shut the door. And so he's allowed in our spare room. I have to apologize to you, Rose, because <laughs> one, one time when I went to visit her with the baby, she had a spare room. But I hope you feel better after you see my spare room because my spare room is much worse than your spare room. And of course, I walked into her spare room and I was like, oh, so sorry, Rose. I was just looking at the house and you know, that's the room you don't want people to see. That's certainly the room I don't want people to see. And sometimes we give Jesus, we give Jesus the bathroom. The bathroom is the smallest room. So we give him the tiniest little space in our house and we leave him in there. And there's a worse place than the bathroom. I mean, the innkeeper gave Jesus a room outside the house where the animals are kept. And sometimes we might have a garage or a shed and we say, you know what, Lord, you can come this far, but you need to, to keep your boundaries. You need to stay right there. You cannot come any closer. You need to stay in the garage or you need to stay in the shed. And of course, the last place is the bedroom. Now, I want to speak to people about this because I think this is really important. This, the bedroom is the sacred room. The bedroom is a sacred room for a husband and wife. And God created that space and he wants to invade that space. And I just want to, to just, just say that if that part of your house has not been holy, I just want to tell you that Jesus is a redeemer. Jesus is a healer. Jesus wants to make you whole and complete and Jesus wants to invade that space. There is a reason why he's called a healer. There is a reason why he's called a redeemer, because he wants to redeem us all. And if there's some of us who have honoured God in that area, 
and feel like they may have missed out because they've honoured, they've kept that place sacred. I want to commend you this morning and I want to tell you that you have not missed out and that God will honour you as you have honoured him in this area. And there is nothing that God cannot do. There's nothing that God cannot redeem. And he does not bring condemnation. He brings freedom and he brings love. And that's his intention. And the rich young ruler thought he had it all, but he missed the most important thing. In verse 22, the scripture says, but he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. God gave us his life so he could, we could give him all the rooms of our home, all the rooms of our lives. He gave us full access to himself. We can go in right now into the throne of grace and he, we are received and accepted just as we are. And I believe Jesus is calling every single person to make room this Christmas for him to make room for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, to create space and to move everything out of the way, to clear the way for him to be there. Revelations 3.20 says, Listen, I stand at the door and knock. If you, any hear my voice and open the door, I will come into their house and eat with them and they will eat with me. And can you hear him knocking on your heart this morning, on the places of your heart, on the rooms of your heart that maybe the door has been closed? Maybe we've opened some doors but closed others. And you know what Jesus says in John 14 too? He says this, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Even now, while we are sitting here, Jesus is creating a room. He's making space for you and for me. He's making room for us. I want to encourage us this Christmas to create a space, take everything out of the way and let him come in. Let him come into the home of our hearts and of our lives, every part of our lives, because he wants to bring in his healing, his blessing and his love that we've never known before.